She's like, what? I'm like, Amy, I couldn't move. She goes, what? I'm like, come here. And as soon as she started to move, I was able to start moving and we met. And I said, he's, he's gone. He's gone. And, and I would be lying to say that our faith didn't shake. We begged, we pleaded, we tried to barter with God for like five, ten minutes straight. Just, And I, all of a sudden I said, stop, stop. We have to stop. I said, we've already dealt with this. This time of year, we often think of our loved ones and how they have impacted our lives. I am grateful for you and all the ways that you have enriched my life. It's also a time of reflection. There's a lot of introspection and evaluation as we close out the year and think about what went well, what didn't, and what we'd like to do differently in the new year. As I've been reflecting on my Share Your Story podcast, I have decided to change things up a bit. Starting in January, we will be moving from a weekly schedule to releasing an episode every other week with special subscription-only content on some of the off weeks. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything. Another change will be the quality of my interviews. Not only will the stories and experiences of my guests be more meaningful and impactful, I will be sharing more of my insights and perspectives on grief as well. Because the episodes tend to be longer, as far as podcasts go, moving to a bi-weekly schedule will give you, the listeners, more time to process and reflect on the information and insights we share during our conversations. And as always, if you would like a travel buddy and a guide to accompany you in your own grief journey, visit my website, grievingcoach.com, to schedule a time to chat with me. Together, we will begin by finding one simple tool that you can implement today to help you in your individual journey in your own unique way. May you all feel loved and supported, especially through this time of the year. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. I'm your host, Jenny Diltz, and I'm also the founder of Grieving Coach. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to share a little bit about how your share about how your how share your story got started. I was guesting on other people's shows and meeting some amazing humans. In hearing their stories, I have been incredibly inspired by what they've experienced and how they've grown from it. Their stories have included many insights that I wish I could just shout to the world. So I started a podcast to share our stories and our humanity. Throughout my journey as a podcaster, both as a guest and a host, I've had tons of support along the way, and I'm so grateful for it. So thank you to all of you who have helped me, and a big thank you to my listeners as well, because without you, there would be fewer reasons to share our stories. Although, so today's guest is Chad Nedland. And although my first encounter with Chad I thought he was pretty weird, but the second time I talked with him, I completely fell in love with him. And the cool part is, he loves me too. He even said so. Yep. I love his quirky <laughs> sense of humor and his magical way of having transformative conversations. He loves my griefy alienness and hyper passion with it. So we're a good mix. 
Um, a little bit more about Chad. He's a daddy to his amazing children and a highly favored husband. He has dedicated his life in service to others in various forms. Although he is a business and business strategist and coach, he spends most of his days helping people to reframe the stories in their minds so that they can move forward in their lives towards a fully joyful experience. Thank you, Chad, for being on my show. Oh, I am so honored to be here. Um, I've been looking forward to this all day. <laughs> I love your giggle. It matches my hyper squeals. <laughs> right? So... Before we get started, let's just go full transparency. Why did you think I was so weird? Um, because of your humorous comments. I wasn't sure if you were serious or humorous. <laughs> so it caught me off guard a little bit. But once <laughs> okay. I understood that you were like it was a sarcastic, fun, joking humor, that was all I needed. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, I have a tendency to do that. Like, I'll like something's complete humor and I'll say it with a completely straight face. And people are looking at me like, um, what do we do with that? And that was me too. Because when I say something humorous, I can't keep a straight face. So you got me beat. It's a skill. It is a skill. One that I haven't yet developed. Um,. So besides where, besides playing in the yard with your kids, where can people find you? Um, <clears throat> okay, I'll try and be serious. <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> you can find me in Wisconsin. Awesome. Um, you can f actually find me all over. If, I always tell people, if you can't find me, you probably haven't typed my name in Google. Um, best way to find me, you can either just look me up on Facebook you can look up the Achieve Greater podcast. Um, you'll find me there. And if all else fails, shoot me an email. You'll have my mother beat if you remember my name at Yahoo. ChadNedland at Yahoo.com. Send me a message, and I guarantee I'll reach back out to you because I just love people. Awesome. <laughs> that works, and I love people too. Yep. Just keep so, it simple. <laughs> yeah, totally. So give us a little bit of background about your story so that our audience mm. has some sort of context from where the juicy part comes in. Okay, okay. Um, so I'll, I'll give you some like way back context. After I had gotten out of the military, um, my brother and I were sitting around in the evening together and we were kind of bored and <laughs> we were having fun, but we were bored. And he says, so what are you gonna do tomorrow? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll go to California. He goes, what? I was like, yeah, I guess I'll walk to California. He's like, okay, let me know when you get there. Now, we were in Minneapolis at the time. So as I got up the next morning, I remembered the words of my grandfather. He said, a man is as good as, as, good as his word. If you don't have your word, you, you have no worth, right? And I said, all right, well, I grabbed $12.73 off the top of my dresser that day, a school bag that was in the in the living room, put a couple pair of pants, a couple pair of underwear, a couple pair of socks, a couple t-shirts in there, and walked out the front door. Three and a half months later, I called up my brother. Hey, I'm in California. He's like, what the blah, 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 blah. Oh, he said words I hadn't heard in years. He was so mad at me. He goes, why didn't you call? I said, you said call when I got here. What's the problem? Well, through that time, 
I did a lot of soul searching after I got out of the military. It gave me a lot of walking time to kind of sort my life out. And a situation happened that day when I arrived in California. And I met a, a gentleman and uh, he changed my whole outlook and perspective on life. And for the next seven years, I traveled throughout the US back and forth, east coast, west coast, north and south, working in tramp camps and bringing hope to the homeless that were living there, showing them that there was a way out, there was possibility, there was life, there was happiness. Because I would go in and I would sleep with them, I would lay down on the ground with them, I would eat with them, I would live with them. But I always had this joy about me. And people couldn't figure it out. And they'd be like, dude, what is so different about you? I'm like, you really want to know? And they're like, yeah. I said, you sure? Yeah. Ask me tomorrow. And then I turn around and walk away. <laughs> because what gave me joy was rejected by most. But I have found that when people told you they desperately wanted what I had, or like what you have, and then you make them come back for it and ask you again the next day, they will literally sit there and listen to every single word you have to say. And when you do that, you have the ability to transform their life because you get to share your story. Your story becomes their story. And once it becomes their story, they see that there's a way out for them. And that transformed me huge. I fell in love with travel. I fell in love with serving my fellow human beings. And then I came back to visit my folks for two weeks. For about three years. Uh, <laughs> but I came back for two weeks. I ended up getting a job at a grocery store. And I met this timid little gal. Ankle length skirt, four shirts, hair long, timid, always had her head down. And I told the guy I worked with, I was like, you know, Verge, she's kind of cute. He goes, don't even bother. She's a nice enough person, but she's not available. It's, it's not even worth your time. And I said, Psh, I'll marry her. Uh, about eight months later, I did. <laughs> and when I married her, I said, I do. And it wasn't just marrying her. I knew that when I married this timid little gal that had spent her whole life working at the grocery store with this small town mentality, my traveling days were over. My hopping on my foot and going wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted, anywhere in the, in the world I wanted to go, that, that was done. Mm -hmm. Now I had this woman to, to be with and to care and share life and to provide for and take care of and protect and honor. And about six months after we were married, she says, remember when we were talking about you walking? And I said, yeah. She goes, remember when I asked you, well, since you've walked east and coast and north and south, what were you gonna do next? And you said, I guess we'll bike it. I said, yeah. She goes, I think we're supposed to do that. It wasn't too long, and we had quit our jobs, drained our bank accounts, given away everything that we had. We didn't sell it. We gave away our car, our belongings, our furniture. We just gave it all away, and we invested in two Walmart bicycles with some aluminum trailers from, um, I think it was Amazon, and we, we hit the road, and we began to serve. And we said there was only one standard. Every morning we would get up and we would ask ourselves and we'd 
you know, I'm, I'm a man of faith. Um, and we would, we would begin our mornings and say, Holy Spirit, where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to talk to? And what would you like us to say? And we just trusted every morning. We're just going to move forward. We didn't know left, right, north, south, east, west. It was just forward. And we were just going to trust. And we had one simple rule. If anybody asked for help, we would just say yes. Well, our faith was put to the test. First place that we stopped, we were asked for help. Um, I had a conversation with somebody. They had a, a secondary guest home for people in the community that, that needed help. And he mentioned they had a, you know, a really wet basement and they had to get that cleared up or the city wouldn't approve. And I was like, well, I used to do basement waterproofing when I was younger. You want me to take a look at it and see if we can identify like what the problem is? And he goes, oh, that'd be great. And I went in there, I looked at it, it took me like three minutes and I'm like, all right, here's your problem. You got hydrostatic wall problem and a water level problem. So the only thing that's gonna fix is blank, blank, blank. And he's like, cool, can you, can you help us do that? Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I says, he, and then he says, well, we don't have any finances. Can you help cover the cost? Yes. <laughs> and I'm going, we have nothing. We're on bicycles, dude. Long story short, by the end of the week, we had power tools, jackhammers, all of the materials, the concrete. We even had a concrete worker come with his concrete truck and a crew to help haul out the old broken up concrete. And then he came down and helped me do all the rest of the finish work. We had the entire basement waterproofing system installed for this, this home within a week, finished off and approved by the city with zero dollars, zero resources, zero connections in a town we weren't familiar with. That's awesome. And I looked at my wife and I was like, well, we can lighten the trailer because I ain't hauling tools. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> like we don't need it everything that we need is going to be provided well we continued to travel and we traveled thousands of miles on the bicycle and lo and behold something happens with the weather it got cold my wife got pregnant i think it has something to do with the temperature um but we're traveling and now my wife is pregnant and we're on bicycles and we're serving in a small town community in leon iowa and we were we were invited to go to a concert with some people there and they brought us to the concert and while we were at the concert we met a couple pastors and the pastor turned around and he looked at me and he says we need people like you in our town in Milan, tennessee he says we're gonna pray you down and we're like oh, okay whatever just whatever you gotta do he goes don't worry about it he says you'll know when it's time he says and when you get here we'll have a house for you we'll take care of you we need you to work in our community we need people with with your faith to step up and move forward and i says all right you pray i says if god tells us to move we're going to move <laughs> and we get back and my buddy albert that we had met down there he goes so what do you think and i was like i don't know i haven't gotten an answer and about three days later we told albert he said well your friend broke the seat on my bike, so we can't take the bike. But we feel confirmed that we're supposed to go to this location. 
He goes, well, if your bike's broke, how are you going to get there? And I said, well, that's simple. I says, my wife and I went down. We struck a deal down at the thrift store. We're, uh, we've got some backpacks that we picked up. I says, I'm going to carry the backpacks and the gear, and we're going to start walking tomorrow morning. He said, you, you, can't, you, can't, walk to, you can't walk to Milan, Tennessee. And I was like, yeah, I can. <laughs> I says, I've walked a lot farther than that. And he was like, yeah. He's like, you know what? We'll give you a ride. We'll give you a ride. So he gave us a ride all the way down there, dropped us off. They housed us. They brought us in. We worked there for about two and a half months. And then Albert showed up. And he said, well, he says, you know, my mom needs a new vehicle. So um, I found one down here in Milan. He said, so I'm going to buy it and bring it back up for my mom. And I was like, okay, cool. Thanks for visiting. I says, but how are you going to bring it back home? He says, well, I'm going to drive it. And I said, well, what about your minivan? He goes, well, you can't quite do what you're doing with a pregnant wife without a vehicle. He says, I'll sell it to you for a buck. And I said, dude, I don't have a dollar. He goes, I'll loan you a buck. And I went, <laughs> All right, and he hands me a dollar. I handed it back to him, and he sold us his minivan for a dollar. So now my wife and I are traveling. We served there for a while, and then we ended up going back on the road, and we ended up giving birth to our son. And our son um, was birthed at my parents' place up in Wisconsin. We came back for the birth, and uh, we did a home birth, and our little son, Jonathan, was born. And he was such an amazing and a blessed gift. And people said, well, what are you going to do now? Do what we feel called to do. We're going back out to serve the homeless. And they're like, you, you can't do that with a baby. And I'm like, homeless people have babies. Why can't we serve them with a baby? Yeah. Oh, it's dangerous. I'm like, have you ever met me? Don't worry about the baby worry about the one who threatens my baby right like i'm not a small guy i'm yeah. very well equipped don't worry about it baby's good and uh, we continued to serve and for 10 months our little boy traveled east coast to west coast with us and when we would work in, like come into a community of homeless people we would walk up with our baby in our arms we would park outside of the tent camps and then we would walk in and people would normally be closed down after living in a, in a tent camp for a while. They'd be closed down and protected, shut off, not open to talking. And we'd just walk up to a complete stranger and we would just hold our child out. So would you like to hold our son? And they would melt. they just melt. And their eyes would open and you could see just this joy and this acceptance just watch over their bodies. And as they'd sit there and they'd hold our child, we'd just talk. There were no barriers, no walls, no defenses. We were able to just share and pour into one another. And we found that Jonathan had this gift to destroy barriers and barricades that people had built up to protect themselves for years. And he would just rip them down with a, <laughs> you know, a little coo, you know. Uh -huh. And he would have this ability to do this amazingly. And as a result, we were able to reach into their lives and we were able to help people make some real change in their life, their perspective, their joy, their their location. Some people were able to get off the street to find happiness, to 
to really move forward and believe that there was something that was possible and better for them. Mm-hmm. And those that wanted those next steps, we actually knew how to get them their paperwork and their IDs and all that stuff. So he was such an instrument in the world. And we got a we got a message from our friends in Leon, uh, where Albert lived, the gentleman who sold us the van. Uh-huh. And at this time, we were gifted another vehicle. Now we were traveling in a full size, full size canopy top camper van with a bed in the back and a kitchenette and a little porta potty and a TV in the front and you know all of like. We just kept giving, but we had no money. Yeah. But everything just kept getting provided for us as we continued to serve. And we were asked to come back and help them set up some stuff there in the community, and we did. And we came back. And when we got there, it wasn't staying staying in a room somewhere. They had brought a mobile home and parked it in one of the people's yards for us. And they said, well, if you're gonna be here, we want you to have a house while you're here. Uh-huh. So I'm like, we left on bicycles. And now people are literally moving houses so that we have a place to stay in their communities because of the way that we served. Yeah. And as you can imagine, if you're a, a husband and a wife with a baby and you're traveling over the road doing service work, Let's just say there's not a whole lot of mom and dad time <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no quiet time. There's no private time. And all of a sudden, we, we had a house. And one night after we were done serving for the day, we went back to the house. It was in the afternoon. And it was time to put Jonathan down for a nap. And so I swaddled him, and I went over, and I put him in the little crib area. And then... Mom and I went back to the other end of the the mobile home, and we spent some quality time together. (laughs) You know, and this is this is important. I'm not oversharing. This is important. Yeah. And we were just laying there and cuddling a little bit, and my wife then, and still now today, you know, we breastfeed our children. Well, by we, she does. Uh, I tried it, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, she she does the breastfeeding, and she's like, "Well, I should probably go feed Jonathan." And she stood up, and I was like, "Hey, no, no, let me." Something inside me said, "No, you you need to go get him." And that was not normal. Normally, it was like, "Yep, yeah, have at it." <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. nothing I can do here. Yeah. And I was like, well, let, "Let me, you just just lay here and relax, honey." And I got up and I made my way down the hall. And the the longer I was walking down the hall, it was just something just didn't feel right. Yeah. And I went over and I reached in and I picked up my son. And I understood why it didn't feel right. It was like I had picked up a doll. Mm -hmm. And I moved the blanket and I had seen that all of the blood had drained all the way to the back of his head. And that told, being in the military, I've dealt with death. You know, uh, I understood that that told me approximately how long he had been gone. And he laid down and he went to sleep. And I'm sitting here standing in the hallway and I said, how 
how do I turn around and present our lifeless child to his mother who's waiting on the other end with the expectation to feed him, to nourish him, to give that life, life-giving milk from mom. Uh-huh. And my voice cracked and I said, Amy. She's like, what? I'm like, Amy, I couldn't move. She goes, what? I'm like, come here. And as soon as she started to move, I was able to start moving and we met. And I said, he's, he's gone. He's gone. And I would be lying to say that our faith didn't shake. We begged, we pleaded, we tried to barter with God for like five, ten minutes straight. Just, And I, all of a sudden I said, stop, stop. We have to stop. I said, we've already dealt with this. Because back before Jonathan was, was born, when we were still back in Milan, Tennessee, she began to spot really heavy right after the point where they still say it's okay to spot. And we thought that we had miscarried. And we started to break down. And of course, my heart was ripped. And I said, okay, before we we go get this checked, we need to make a decision on how we're going to respond. I said, if we lost our child, if we lost our child, do we continue or do we stop? Do we give up what we feel our purpose is in life or do we move forward? And we made a decision, no matter what happens, we were going to move forward because that's what we were called to do. That's what we felt was our purpose and our, and our calling at that point. And we went and we got to a clinic where we could get it checked and we laughed so hard. They said that we were a breath of fresh air when we were there. And they apologized profusely because they couldn't find the heartbeat. Jonathan was jumping around too much in her belly. <laughs> and they're like, I'm so sorry. And they're working. I'm like, look, lady, seriously, if he's moving around that much, I think he's okay. And she just paused. She goes, you guys are such a, such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, And I realized why that my wife had given me the name of this place and I thought she was taking us to an abortion clinic. So I was like pissed. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like, how dare you even bring me into this place with what we're dealing with? Well, what it was is it was the place was set up for people to have a choice like explore all of the options for the life of that child and she's like most people that come in here are questioning whether or not they want to keep their child she said and you guys came in here fighting and you have a baby who's fighting for life and we see parents who love him so much she says you're such a breath of fresh air for us but we had decided at that moment ahead of time what would happen and i looked at my wife and i said we made a choice I says, I don't know how. I have no idea how we're gonna do this, but we made a choice. She says, I know. We ended up bringing our son home. Um, He was buried on the family property next to my dad. And within a few days, 
we were right back on the road again. And within, within that three days, I was standing up in front of a congregation of people talking about the mercy and perfect love of a good, good father that we have in God. Yeah. And people, people were mad. They were angry with me for saying such a thing. And they're like, your, your son just died. How could you say that? And I'm like, but because it's true. See, from Scripture, it says that Satan, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But that Jesus would come so that we could have life abundantly. And he says, what I understand is that anything that kills, steals, or destroys, detracts, or takes away from my life was not from my Father in heaven. It was from the enemy. I said, but the life that we experienced, the abundance of joy that was here, was a gift of a good, good father through my son. I said, my son traveled east coast to west coast, north to south, was loved on and loved by thousands, and gave love to thousands of people, opening their hearts to the possibility of hope and being cared for and loved. He gave hope. He helped people break through their grieving process. He helped them break through their hardened sadness to see something that was greater on the other side. And he did it in 10 months. Don't say he, he was only here 10 months. He lived every day of his life for the sole purpose of making everyone else's better. Did my baby cry? Yeah, when he pooped on himself, when he peed on himself, or he was hungry. But outside of that, my son never had a bad day. What kind of an a-hole father would I be to wish that he was back here to go through everything I've suffered through? He lived a rich, full life. And his death is my rally call. I cannot sit back and not impact the world every day of my life. I can't sit back and say, oh, I got tomorrow. I have to impact the world because he's my rally call. When I get tired, when I get worn out, I remember he lived fully to show me how to live my life. He showed me at 10 months old, how I was supposed to live my life as a 40, 40 man in his 40s. <laughs> but now I'm not that man in my 40s. And every single day, he's that guiding rally call when I get up in the morning. And I get to express the gratitude and the honor and the blessing of being allowed to be part of his life. He wasn't part of my life for 10 months. I was allowed to be a father to him his entire life. Our circumstances, our situations, they have no meaning outside of what we assign to them. And the meaning that we choose to assign is the framework by which we choose to look at the world.
-hmm. I was so blessed. Am I lucky to have my son pass away from SIDS? No. <laughs> Am I blessed to have had it happen? Yes. To lie and say there weren't years that went by where every single day, hour after hour, minute after minute, I had the haunting thought I was the one that swaddled him. Did I wrap him too tight? Did I lay him down wrong? Did I do something? Did I murder my son? All of which I knew were not true, but something had to explain to my mind mm -hmm. the pain that I felt while experiencing the joy. It was that I felt guilty for having joy in spite of the situation. But the reality is we have every right to experience joy, the highs of joy at the very depths of our grief. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be separate. They can be at the same time. You don't have to destroy one to enjoy the other. I learned to enjoy the grief. As a dad, my grief isn't pain. My grief is a reminder of how deeply he was loved. And the more it hurts, the deeper my understanding of the power of the love that he received every day from his mother and his father. I never understood it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea as a daddy how deeply I loved my son. I still mourn him. Sure. I still grieve him. My, my dad passed away about 10 years ago. My five-year-old little daughter, she walks out of the the school room, apparently she saw a picture of, of Grandpa Paul. I never showed her that picture. She knows Grandpa Jerry. Mom remarried. It's Grandpa Jerry. Mm -hmm. And she walked out and she asked, and she says, why did Grandpa Paul die? And I'm like, you know, I kind of struggle with that myself. I mean, what do we tell her? <laughs> Because he loved eating pork and bad diet and refused to change it after four heart surgeries. Got what he earned. Uh -huh. You know, do we, do we give it to her straight? And I told her, I was like, you know, sometimes our bodies, they just give up and they go to sleep. And that's what happened to Grandpa Paul. His body couldn't take the work that it was going through. Yeah. She goes, oh. Well, I think he's in heaven with my brother, Jonathan. I said, I think you're probably right. And she goes, I want to go to heaven. And I said, why do you want to go to heaven? And she says, because I want to see Grandpa Paul and introduce him to my brother. And I went, 
she never saw him as gone. Yeah. She just saw him as not here. And I thought, you know, what what better thing can we teach our children than for them to understand that death isn't the end. Right. That we can still be with them, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. And to see that in her and have that reminder to me, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm incredibly blessed to have the children that I have, but my children keep teaching me amazing lessons. Absolutely. And two things I I would want people to know and understand is, A, grief is not impermanent but it's not permanent either grief is is what we allow it to be in our life Mm -hmm. and we can allow it to be a blessing we can allow our pain to be something that makes us stronger we can allow the loss to remind us of how much room we have to love others There's so much that can be there. But just like having your child teach you a lesson, grief enters our life after we've been living for quite a while, just like a child. Be open. Be open to the lesson that's there. Not just the experience, but the lesson Mm -hmm. that comes with it. Because... You know, there's an old saying, he says, until you learn the lesson, you're destined to keep learning it. Like, and that's one and reason like, why I love grief. Because I I picture grief as a person, actually. Hmm. For me, it's female because of that nurturing quality that always keeps teaching. And grief will come to my door. Hey, knock, knock, knock. I'm here. I have something to teach you. Are you ready to learn? Sometimes we say, um, no, go away. I don't want to see you. I don't want to be near you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. So Grief says, okay. Noted. I'll come back. Yeah. And so she she'll comes revisit back again. you. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Hi. Are you ready to learn now? Maybe this time we open the door a crack. Oh, maybe she's not so scary as I thought. But I'm still not ready to learn. Goodbye. (laughs) 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 So grief comes again. Knock, knock, knock. Are you ready this time? Mm, Maybe. What do you have to offer? And as we... Like you said, it's how we perceive things. It's our perception. It's how we think about things. It's our mindset, our attitude. It's whatever we make it to be. Yeah. And eventually, you welcome her at the door and invite her in for a meal. Yes. Um, 
too many people try and get over grief and get past grief. And one thing that I learned is grief will, will always be a part of your life. But we have the choice of whether or not it's a welcome addition mm-hmm. or something that we fight against. And you can't stop being who you are. If you don't like yourself, you can't just not be you. It doesn't work. Now you can change things about how you respond, how you interact, how you do things, how you perceive the world around you, but you'll always be you. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, grief is that same way. It will always be there, but we can change how we interact, how we perceive, the meaning that we assign. And it's, you know, like our brothers, (laughs) <laughs> or I should say, like my brothers, they're always going to be my brothers, but I can choose to give them time or withdraw from them, but they will always be my brothers. Mm-hmm. They will always be part of my family, and I will always love them. I probably will not like them a good period of the time because their <laughs> choices are not choices I approve of, yeah. but I will always love them. And if I can love my brothers, I can love grief. Because although it doesn't give me what I want, it is a part of my life, and I choose to grow from it or not. And I've learned growth allows us to deal with the things that once caused us pain. And like I said, I guess that would be a good way of looking at it. I mean, grief is still here. I still mourn the loss of our child. But it's just a reminder of the love. It used to be grief was pain. Grief was torment for me. The sure. questions, the justification, the blame. Yeah. All of that stuff came constant all the time until I reframed it. says, you know what? If I didn't hurt so bad, it would only be because I didn't love so deep. And the, the day I said those words out loud, everything changed. It said, because I loved so deep, this is the other side. Mm-hmm. This is the evidence of the depth of the love. And I never knew it before. Because I only felt what my little baby could give back. But I couldn't feel the love that I poured out. I didn't know what he received. I only received what he gave. Sometimes it was vomit. Sometimes it was poop. <laughs> you, know? you know, but some of my, my dearest, dearest memories is I would lay him on my chest and I would just do a little bounce and I would sing. And frankly, I would sing an old, old chant that I learned from some Native Americans that I walked with. And, and uh, it would put him out all the time. And it was like daddy's, daddy's touch. Mm-hmm. I could always put the kids out, you know? Yeah. And that was like a cherished thing for me. And grief has a way of getting a hold of your attention. And sometimes it isn't nice. <laughs> sometimes it grabs you and just, let's see, grabs you where you don't want to be grabbed to get your attention. <laughs> right. And I was afraid 
I was afraid to hold my daughter and rock her to sleep. Because dad has a tendency to put his kids to sleep. And the last time I did that, my child never woke up. Mm-hmm. I was afraid to tell my kids good night because I was afraid they wouldn't wake up. I couldn't put my kids down for a nap. I was like, oh, honey, you do it. To this day, my wife puts the kids down for the nap. My wife gives them a kiss good night and lays them down in bed. Five, four, and one year old. I can't go in their room and kiss them good night. I have to sit in the living room. And I give them big hugs and I hold them in my arms and I tell them how much I love them and how proud I am of them. Wish them a good night. But even today, I still can't go in there and tuck them in in bed. Yeah. Is it something I'll get over? I don't care. Because you know what it makes me do? It makes me love on them ten times harder before they walk into their bedroom. It makes me hold them in my arms. Makes them get scolded if they head for their bedroom before stopping to hug me goodnight. I says, you're not allowed to sleep until you give me hugs goodnight. Mm-hmm. And my son just chuckles and he laughs <laughs> and he thinks it's funny. And I'm like, you don't understand. Right. Every time, and I've, I haven't even said this to my wife, but every single night, when I hug my kids and I kiss them goodnight, my mind says this could be the last time. Have they felt the depth of your love today? And if they haven't, I don't let go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't let go. It was dentist day today. Wife got up early. Had the kids roasted, fed them real quick. They're on their way out the door. They didn't say goodbye to Dad because Mom didn't want to wake me up. Well, I wasn't sleeping. I just hadn't got out of bed yet. (laughs) You know? I hear the front door, patio door open, and I jump up, and I throw on some shorts, and I run out, and I make it to the end of the, the, the porch. And my daughter turns around, and she sees me. And she turns around with a big smile, and she runs across She said, sorry, Daddy. Bye. Love you. Have a good day. And I was like, I love you too, sweetheart. And she jumps down and she runs around the truck and I hear her scold her brother. (laughs) Daniel, you get over there and say goodbye to Daddy. (laughs) Now you think older sister chews you out and you're going to be kind of snarky. He goes, Daddy's here? And he comes running around the truck. And I'm like, yep. They know the depth of my love. Yeah. I never have to question that. But that grief, that thing holding in, is the reminder. Make sure you love them fully every moment that you're with them. Don't let them them end a day without knowing the depth of your love. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. That's where grief no longer has a hold on me. Grief's my partner. I'm a busy dad. (laughs) I run multiple businesses, coach people all over the world, all hours of the day, day and night. I'm very busy. 
yet Greece, my business partner that says priorities take that time mm-hmm. take that time and I think when that becomes a natural grief will stop stopping by as often right but she can come show up as long as it takes for me to learn that and I would you her. want her to stop coming by though I don't guess I guess I don't really care if she stops coming by but it'd be all right if she stopped with the little digs every once in a while. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not a matter of I don't need to feel the loss to know the depth. Uh-huh. And you know, it's just like, you know, my brother, my other brother. He 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 would never really do anything beneficial when he showed up. But I had a friend who could show up, never say a word, and give me complete comfort. Wouldn't mind if she got to that point. You could be there. That's fine. Yeah. Knock it off with all the whispering in my ear, you know? <laughs> but until then, you know, I still welcome it. You know, because at this point, I still need it, apparently. Yeah. She wouldn't be showing up. Exactly. And to reject, to hide, to run from would just prolong it. And, you know, the the truth, the the more you focus on something, the more energy you give to it, the more powerful it becomes. Mm -hmm. So stop trying to fight the things that are in your life and just acknowledge that they're there and allow them to teach you the lessons you need to hear. Yeah. And my, my old man wisdom, I guess. (laughs) it all sums up in what you said earlier we have a good good father yeah and he is so aware of us individually intimately in the details in the moments And whether those lessons are from grief, whether those lessons are from a conversation, whether those lessons are through love, or someone who comes and says nothing but comforts us, he's aware of us. Mm-hmm. Or a podcast. <laughs> or a podcast. Because sometimes we're not ready for the conversations. Sometimes we're not ready to have that talk. And our father will send people, I don't know, like the Jenny Dilts in the world, to have the conversation for them and allow them to be a part of it without having to be in it. And it's one of the greatest gifts that you're bringing to the world through this through this podcast in my opinion is the fact that there's people that aren't ready to have the conversation about grief mm-hmm. but you're willing to have that conversation for them so they can learn the lesson without having to go through the pain of it because they're not ready yet yeah and uh, for that I thank you because people need you it's Mitchell Oh, mutual.
I thought you said it's Rachel, and I'm like, no, it's Jenny. <laughs> no, it's what? Rachel, so I feel the same way about you. <laughs> I told um, you it was one of those days, and I'm like, Rachel, what? <laughs> it's all good. Um, anything else you want to share with our listeners? Normally, I would have a, a closing thought, but today I just decided I was just going to share my heart, and when it was there, it was there. You know, I mean, we we all have we have all have a greatness in us, and that greatness is what we were gifted with to bring into the world. Don't allow heartache. Don't allow pain. Situations, trials. Don't let it shroud your greatness. Go unleash it. The world needs us. That's why we're here. Even when it's scary. Yeah, especially when it's scary. Those are the best adventures. <laughs> <laughs> but for that, you'll have to reach out and send me an email. <laughs> So tell us your email so we can reach out when we get, when life gets scary. <laughs> Chad Nedland dot or I'm sorry at yahoo.com. Awesome. Um, yeah, I I often think I should just do a podcast where I just tell my stories, all the things that I've just encountered and had a blast with over the years. Uh-huh. But people might think I'm weird, right, Jenny? Fantastic. <laughs> it only lasts one time. <laughs> it only hurts the first time. <laughs> and you get used to it. Yep. Oh. Exactly. I feel so full. Thank you so much, Chad, for this conversation. It's been it's been an honor. The more the more opportunities we have to actually share our story. The more powerful our story becomes, but the better we get to process and digest our own story. And the more powerful it becomes for us. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like chewing the cud, you know? You you chew on it, you get as much nutrients as you can out, and then the cow swallows it, and then it spits it up later and chews it some more and gets more nutrients out. And that's what it is when we share our story is it gives us a chance to grow and really walk into and embrace the lessons that we have through it. So thank you for that. It's It's been an honor. Amazing. Um, so in an earlier conversation, you said your mission was one to a million, to touch mm. a million lives um, through the interactions you've had. And I know mine has been extremely impacted by our conversation today our, our time together um, thank you everyone keep chewing your cud share your story <laughs> <laughs> learn and grow from each other and learn and grow from yourselves until and let's see To learn more about what I do at Grieving Coach, visit my website, grievingcoach.com. 
Um, you can sign up for my newsletter there for tips and publications, upcoming events. And until next time, remember that all of our experiences make us who we are and that you are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Mm. Your voice matters. So share your story. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time, where we share real-life experiences of converting grief into growth. Just a reminder, we will be moving from a weekly to a bi-weekly release schedule starting in January of 2023 with subscription-only content on some of the off-weeks, so be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on exclusive interviews and insights. And if you are struggling with your grief and would like help, I have recently opened the enrollment for my program, Converting Grief into Growth. It is an individualized coaching program to support you in and through your grief and or teach you to support others as they do the same. Converting Grief into Growth consists of eight one-to-one sessions that each include a writing prompt and relevant action steps that you can implement immediately. The length of the program is individualized because each journey is different. We all have different losses, different styles of grieving, and different processing speeds. As a result, each journey will be individualized. We will go as fast as possible and as slow as necessary to get you long-lasting and permanent growth in your life. So far, all of my clients have finished the program in two months or less and are still reaping the benefits of their time with me more than a year later. If, however, after two months you feel like you still need more time, you can purchase a monthly add-on for continued support. Through the end of the year, I'm offering Converting Grief into Growth for 50% off. If this is something you'd like to explore further, reach out to me through my website, grievingcoach.com, or send me an email at jenny at grievingcoach.com. We'll schedule a time to chat and see if this is a good fit for you. Until next time, remember that all of our experiences make us who we are and that we can turn grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters. So share your story.